0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hey guys, what's up? Elk Shape Podcast, me, Dan Fitness Man. Kicking it with you guys today, bringing on another blue-collar elk hunter who crushes the elk hunting learning curve. Does it on public land. Really excited about this one. This dude I met. In the mountains, I've met a lot of cool people in the mountains, and he is definitely one of them. And uh, we'll get to him in a second, but uh, currently Elk Shape Camp 2019 registration is open. It went live at midnight last night. I believe 16 out of the 20 spots got taken uh, at, at the stroke of midnight, but uh, there's probably a couple spots left once this drops. So if you're feeling froggy and you want to fly to Spokane and uh, cover everything from how to eat for performance, to train for performance, to calling elk hands-on with one of the best elk callers I know, doing backcountry hunting systems with one of the best backcountry hunters, Ryan Lampers, and then going to an archery shop and getting video analysis of your shooting form, going over tuning and technique, hitting a 3D course and shooting under duress and working on angles. Everything will be filmed. We might make an online elk shape camp for down the road, but I'm pretty stoked about this one. Swag's in the store. Y'all know how to support this cast. I appreciate you listening. It means a lot. This is one of the few podcasts is not fancy. You notice there was no intro music and that we just get down to business because we ain't got time for fluff. So enjoy this episode. This guy's name is Bucky Shoemaker. He's a great human being and he, we talk a lot here about elk hunting tactics, how he balances work and family, and how he uh, basically makes his wife feel super important so he can get away and go do... That elk hunting thing. He's a well rounded outdoorsman from Idaho, super blue collar. So lucky to have him. Here we go. Elk Shape Podcast number 48 with uh, Dan the Fitness Man. And we are hanging out and joined with a friend of mine, Bucky Shoemaker. And uh, Bucky, you are the man. You are the guy that uh, you are one of the, the tribe members. You are, in my opinion, Uh, what elk shape's all about you're a hard worker you hustle you work you have a family you're blue collar and you hunt your ass off man i'm really stoked to have you on tonight how you doing
2: right on dan i appreciate it man doing great yeah um yeah you know i i don't know if i'm all all that you're uh make me hyped up to be but i'm uh i'm definitely a hunter i love to hunt and i love being outdoors i love my family so yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited to be on here.
1: That's cool. Well, let's talk about you a little bit. Give us your background. Um, what's your, it's your day-to-day. Get us a little into your family. I know you had a new addition, and uh, let's just kind of get to know you.
2: Yeah, so I, I grew up in a small town, Pierce, Idaho. Um, basically, you go to Orfino, up the Clearwater River there, and uh, take a left and head up the mountain, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, just a dead end uh population when I was there, it's just a logging community. It was like seven hundred and some change. So uh, a real small town. Um I grew up basically in the outdoors and running around. Uh had dirt bike and spent a lot of time just out in the woods, running trails, fishing, um, hunting. I, I remember, you know, when I was uh when I was younger, my dad he'd always say, If you shoot something and bring it home then we eat it. And so I really never knew what that meant until uh, until I actually started bringing some, like, you know, robins home or, like, some frogs home. And I was young, you know, and he was, like, cooking these things up. And he's like, bring your friends over. They helped you catch these. They're going to do it, too. They're going to learn that, you know you harvest something you eat it and and so then we were pretty picky about what we actually brought home and we were running around out there shooting stuff with our BB guns and stuff yeah i mean it, was it taught me the ethics i think of hunting that's what it's about it's it's about providing for your family and you know we are we i grew up you know we're we're meat hunters i mean trophy hunting you get a trophy that's a bonus but uh so from the small age i mean i remember running around and uh and getting enough money to go down to the sporting. There's two stores in town. There's a sporting goods store and a hardware store, so I'd go down there and I'd buy uh, elk reeds and, and bugles, and man, I just I loved elk. There's something about elk since since I was little, and I'd run around the house and elk all, and I, I probably was terrible. I'm sure I was, but my parents let me do it, and they didn't seem to mind, and and my mom actually dug up a video not too long ago, or, or a cassette tape, actually, of, uh, of me. I don't know how old I was. I was really young, but but it was me pretending to, like, make all these elk sounds. And then I was, like, this guy, like, moving in on this elk. And it was pretty embarrassing, actually. But <laughs> but uh, it was, it's, it's, it's pretty funny, man. I mean, it's like, okay, so I've been, uh, I've been loving this for a long time. That's cool. So is your dad a logger? Uh, no, my dad, he worked. Uh, actually, he owned the Pierce Street Value Harvest Store. That's how he ended up in Pierce. Uh, he bought that, moved up there, ran that for, I don't even know how many years, a lot of years. And then uh, he was in a partnership. His partner bought him out. So then he worked to work at the plywood mill up there. And so that's kind of how we ended up in St. Mary's was the plywood mill. in Pierce, It closed down, I, I think it was like 2000, 2001. And so I had actually graduated. I was down at L.C. going to college. And my folks moved up to St. Mary's, got transferred up here to work at the potlatch plywood mill here. And so, i would never been to St. Mary's in my life. I thought I lived in the best place in the world in Pierce, which it's probably, arguably, maybe close to St. Mary's. But uh, St. Mary's is—it's pretty awesome, as you know, Dan. It's got everything that uh, Pierce had, except for 45 minutes to Cortland, an hour to Spokane. Makes my wife happy. We can go over there, have some good meals, and go shop and do her thing. And on top of that, we got St. Joe and the Cortland Lake, which is. It's pretty awesome. So St. Mary's is a pretty unique place.
1: That's cool. Yeah, that's a great little town for sure. Uh, so you went to school at L.C. Valley. Where did you meet your wife along the journey?
2: Well, so my wife, she actually is from, well, she she grew up in Post Falls for a while, but then she ended up in Pierce, probably like fourth grade. Oh, and really? Uh, yeah, so oddly enough, she lived there for a while. Um, I used to steal her pencils and stuff out of her locker and chase her around, and I think she thought I was pretty awesome, but she claims she thought I was a nerd, so... <laughs> but, anyways, uh, then they moved away for a while, and, I don't know, I always had this little traction for I don't know what it was, even at a young age, and then they moved away, and then they moved back, and we started hanging out, and, I don't know, I'm kind of a guy that, like, if I really want something, I pursue it, I go after it, and I usually get it, so... Um, luckily enough, I ended up, uh, persuading her about my senior year and she was a sophomore to, uh, start dating. We went to the prom and, uh, kind of hit it off from there. So we've been together for a long time.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there's some history. So yeah. High school sweethearts. That's pretty cool. How old were you when you got
2: married? Uh, we got married in 2006. So we dated for a long time. Um, I think she was wondering if I was going to ever ask her. But uh, everything was going good, and I I felt there was no reason to uh, change things, you know. But So in 2006, we got married, um, and then we bought our first house here in St. Mary's. I was actually just finishing up school, and I started working at the the mill up here um, as a supervisor. So I went to school for business management and marketing down in Lewiston, L.C., and uh, she was actually working down there as a dental assistant. She went to school for dental assisting, and... She transferred up here, and we kind of lived with my parents for about six months and then got her place, got married, and and it's been a life journey, an amazing life journey ever since.
1: Okay. All right. So your roots are in St. Mary's now. You've lived there quite a while. Uh, you currently work at the Mill?
2: I do, yeah. Yep. Supervisor there. we got about 42 employees and, and I don't know, 100 and some people probably indirectly under me, so... So I think that's why I love hunting so much. I just get to get out there and kind of clear my head and do my thing and and not have anybody bugging me.
1: Yeah. So you vacation-wise, hunting, juggling, family, all that kind of stuff, I've been trying to link up with you and do the antelope hunting one of these years, but you're pretty limited on time. So how much time do you actually get to go elk hunting a year, keeping in mind that you got to save some vacation for other things, too, when you're married? but what are you getting what are you getting for elk hunting time in archery season
2: yeah elk season uh i like to take two weeks um that's that's my goal every year and that's what i put on the calendar at work um i like to take that, that middle that second middle week and you know so so week two and three um but it depends on you know if i like we went to disneyland this year so i used a six days there as a family vacation and then I had the moose tag and I wanted to save some time for that too so this year I only used a week and that's just not enough for me in the elk woods. Um, but you kind of got to do what you got to do you know
1: yeah I think a lot of guys can relate to that you know having a finite number of days and juggling vacations filling the family's cup filling yours uh, and then you drew a once in a lifetime Idaho moose tag this year
2: I did yeah of all years I draw it. So, um, you know, I haven't I haven't been putting in for that long, so I hate to say that out loud. So to step back just a little bit, my wife last year I put her in last year for the first time. And I'd probably put in for five years I think prior. Well she draws last year for the long season, unit five and the first time I ever put her in. And so last year we go out and he uh, gets to the harvest an awesome moose. Um, I went out and did some scouting. And basically the second time we went out in this area, she, we found this bull and she shot it. And so moving forward to this year, oddly enough, two years in a row we draw moose tags. So I draw my moose tag, pretty excited about it. And then we start finding the due date on the baby is uh, November 17th. And my moose season is the 1st to the 14th. Oh, so now God. I'm like stressed out. Yeah, I'm thinking of all years, right? Here we go. Are we going to have this baby on like the 7th? Or, you know, how much time am I going to get?
1: And so are you able so, to, on this moose deal, I'm trying to think we're unit 5, is that something that you can hit a, hit up after work are the dates November 1st to the November 14th?
2: Yeah, yeah, November 1st to the 14th. Um, and it, it is an area you can hit after work, but you know, it's starting to get fairly dark that time of year quick. And so, you know, getting off at 3 and getting home, it, you, I might get an hour in or something. But I knew it was once in a lifetime, so I'm like, that's why I kind of juggle my vacation around. I'm like, I'm not going to take any deer hunting vacation. I'm going to do the Disneyland family trip, and I'm going to do elk, and I'm going to save everything else I got straight up just for this uh moose you know yeah I, oh i did i did and I, I did take some time for antelope too so i think i had enough that i could use about 12 out of the 14 days if i needed it but i was pretty nervous and in, in going into the season i knew i had about you know those 12 days to go get it done but also i was thinking every day i'm out there i'm like all right is this the last day is i had i had my uh phone you know all the time checking in with the wife making sure she wasn't having contractions and this baby thing was still okay and i i felt guilty leaving you know to go do it because you just never know you're getting in that window but she she was like you gotta go do it it's once in a lifetime and she understands and and uh so like day five i'd passed up a lot of bulls and and my dad and i he, he hunted with me and and i actually saw a bull that's probably similar to the one i end up shooting but uh I had one in mind that I wanted, and, and I was solely hunting this bull, and I actually, I think I sent you a video of him. He was he a was stud. Yes, he was. And so I had my mindset on this bull, but I, I couldn't find him, and, and about day five, I come across, you know, I had he had certain goals, you know, I wanted to make sure he had double fronts on his brow tines, and, and a good, nice, solid paddles, and, and I wasn't all caught up on, you know, the width necessarily. I just wanted a nice, good, solid bull, uh, you know, trophy, so... So we run into this bull, and he's bedded down. I spot him from the spotter from like a mile and a half away. So we drive over there, and I'm like, "Okay, he's on this ridge." So we start glassing and looking, and we cannot find him. So I said, "There's a road that goes down. We'll go underneath. We'll we'll jam up, and we'll we'll kind of look across at him if he's still there. Maybe he's gone now. You know, it took us a while to get there." So we get over there, and sure enough, he's down there. He's bedded down the brush and. I watched him for 45 minutes. I couldn't decide, should I shoot him, should I not shoot him? He was, he was just right on that edge of, you know, he's not the one I wanted, but, but, you know, am I going to get a hunt tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so I'm like, all oh, this has gone through my head. And finally he gets out of his bed and he starts walking basically up the ridge. And, I finally look at my dad and I said, "At this point, he cleared, he, had, he he's not even glassing him. He quit glassing him. He's like tired of looking at him." And I said, "What do you think?" And he says, "I don't know why he's not dead yet." And I said, "All right, I'm gonna shoot this bull." So I get rested up and get everything dialed in, and I I shoot this bull. And if I would have shot him when he was bedded, I probably would have had about a hundred yard pack up to a road instead of the three hundred yard pack I had. I let him actually walk farther away, but. I was just, I couldn't decide, you know, but, but I thought it's time, you know, I might have a baby tomorrow. Uh, my wife's already went through waiting on me, you know, and, and, and uncomfortable, you know, that whole pregnancy thing. So uh, the guilt was setting in a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's like, he was a great bull and I was super happy.
1: It's not your first rodeo. You already had one, you know, it's kind of a big deal and the guilt sucks, but you know, once in a lifetime and luckily your wife's had that tag she can kind of empathize but at the end of the day man you gotta get this you gotta get this thing done you know what i mean i think I, yeah i think it's a great bull and a really respectable bull for that area too you know and there's wolves in that country in unit five too so you know it's not like the moose are doing what they used to over there
2: no absolutely dan and, and it's a pretty you know it's a common area for guys to hunt it's it's easy access you know you're not the back country so so, you know, there's there some nice bulls in there, but they are hard to find. And, and that, you know, in hindsight, you know, how much do you know about moose hunting? Because you get to do it once in a lifetime. Well, luckily for me, I got to do it twice. But, um, you know, I didn't really know how that whole rut thing would pan out. So the whole time I was out there, this bulls, like I, two weeks before season is when I found him. And I was out there like three days, maybe four days a week, I'd come home and be like, all right, babe, I'm going to run out there real quick. I'm just going to lace my eyes on him, make sure he's still there, make sure nobody else has shot him because the long season was going. And, and then I'm gonna, I'll be back home. And she's like, you're going to stress yourself out over this bull. I'm like, I'm going to get this bull opening day. And he was there, he was there, he was there, you know, every time. And I'm like, this is going to be so easy opening day. I'm going to know right where he's at. I'm going to walk in there. I'm going to glass him, set up, and shoot this bull. And I was actually debating, should I do my bow, you know? Because at that point, I'm like, I'm so confident this bull's going to be there. He's been there. So I'm thinking, that'd be awesome to shoot my bow. Well, in hindsight, the rut ended, I would guess, probably right around Halloween, which is about the first of the season. Yeah. And that bull just disappeared. And and I'm telling you, like, the week before these moves were like, if you saw a cow, there's a bull. And when my season started that late season, it was, you know, a matter of three days. We saw thirteen cows opening day, and not a bull. Yep. It was crazy. It just like shut off.
1: Those dates are tough. I drew that moose tag uh, in Unit One One, uh, which is up by Priest Lake, Idaho, in two thousand fourteen, and I was like in a similar position. We had just had our first and. That was my first hunting season with an infant. And I think I hunted all of September, weird. And that tag opened October 1st. And I just remember having this guilt and this pressure to like get it done. And hindsight, I wish I would have maybe carved out, realized, I mean, I'm such an elk addict that I had a once in a lifetime moose tag, but I still burned all my like lifetime (laughs) chasing elk. And, uh, when I, when I, when that season rolled around, I really was like, my dad was with me and he was like, man, you really need to just not be picky and get yourself a bull. Um, because your wife's already like pretty frustrated that you haven't been around this whole last month. So I think I only hunted moose like two or three days. And, uh, we called in, it was rut. So we called in a couple of bulls and I ended up shooting like you said kind of wanted a decent bull I didn't want to just shoot a dink bull but I definitely didn't shoot the biggest bull that I saw I saw a pretty good one but couldn't get him to play ball but we called one in I think I shot my moose at about three or four yards uh quartering away he came he charged he basically he busted me took off stopped and then I just started grunting and he just bulldozed his way right to me and then he came right through these alders, and when the alders cleared, we were staring face-to-face, and he whirled, and when he whirled, I let the arrow go, and uh, it was about a three-yard shot, and uh just went all the way through him, and that was the experience I was looking for, and uh, I just want anyone listening to know that Idaho's, you know, since you and I can't draw anymore, I guess I'll just clue them in. You should put in for Moose while you can. It's the easiest tag to draw in the lower 48, and if you want to hunt moose in Canada, you're going to pay for it. You got to have a guide. Um, and most places in Alaska, you got to have a guide. Or uh, if you don't have a guide, there's a 50 inch minimum, and that is like, oh, that is not a fun hunt. That's going to be a whole new level of stress trying to find a legal bull and make sure you don't shoot one that's 49. But all in all, moose meat, man, is it? It's pretty tough to beat, wouldn't you agree?
2: Ah. Uh-huh. It's money, man. I love it. Yeah, and you get a lot of it, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you do. You shot a yeah. horse, man.
2: Yeah, you shot a horse, and and that's where we're setting this year. Uh, so, yeah, we got we had a moose in the freezer, you know, from her last year, and an elk in the freezer from last year, and an antelope from last year, and a whitetail, and then this year comes around, and I'm like, all right, what are we going to do with another moose? And then luckily enough to get the elk, and now a whitetail, and – so luckily, we got a lot of family that likes eat wild game, and they're not shy about asking. So, so handouts here they come. That's
1: awesome. I'm gonna. But, I'm but gonna what s- I'm gonna
2: do, as you know, Dan, what you do is you you uh, grab that elk meat and you grab that, that yeah that deer from last year. <laughs> you ahead and filter that out the family. You poured that moose meat, right, bud?
1: Yeah. We're, we're hopefully no one's listening of your family, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Here you go. Here's some whitetail. Um, <laughs> probably give up elk meat before i would give up moose meat man it's that good and uh i ain't giving up antelope meat i already had a couple people from my gym ask me if they could try some antelope and i said you know you can you just got to go kill one and you can have a whole one to yourself i'm not sharing my uh i'm not sharing my antelope meat i love that stuff man so let's get into elk hunt antelope. no doubt did go ahead hey
2: i got one question Dan. yeah did uh when you shot your antelope because uh, you shot a couple of antelope uh beyond idaho right let's see where where'd you shoot those
1: Um, I've shot antelope in Wyoming and Montana and in Idaho.
2: Okay. Did the ones, uh, in Montana, Wyoming, how how do they taste the same? Um, I mean, they taste the same as these Idaho, you know, ones that just basically live in these farm fields.
1: No, they don't taste as good as the ones that you and I are hunting. Uh, not even close, but I mean, they're still good. I, they're, they're a lot more sagey, um, especially like the Montana, one I shot was in eastern Montana. Very sagey, but I, I like that taste. But they're, they're not as delicious or juicy as those ones that you and I have been killing in Idaho.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, that's the crazy thing was, you know, when I went down and people said, you know, you shoot an antelope. You better make sausage out of it. You better grind it, you know. And So I was upset because the only thing I saved on my, my first antelope there last year was the back straps. Cut it up, made some steaks. I told Dad, I said, you can't believe everything everybody says. You know, we got to try this for ourselves yeah you gotta you know you gotta you gotta check it out we're gonna make some steaks out of these back straps and then we'll go ahead and we just chunked and ground the rest and uh i opened that pack of steaks and i cooked it up and i was like oh my god this is good and my wife and everybody's my daughter just devoured it you know i was like this is great i can't believe it like not sagey or anything and and so i told my dad and he's like no it can't be and, so I, I gave him a package and it, I was, I was upset that I didn't make more steak out of it because it is delicious.
1: It is awesome. It's really good. And I wish antelope were bigger cause I could get more meat off of them. But I will say this on those short little antelope hunts to Idaho, um, uh, when it gets down to the second to last day and the last day, it's either sex tag, I'm shooting, whatever I'm not coming home empty handed. And that's what I did this year. It was a tough year down there and, and, uh, I don't know, there just wasn't as many antelope in this particular area, but uh, got an opportunity at a doe at 40 on on our last day, and I was so happy. And uh, my dad got his antelope, so it was cool. It was a good year. And man, antelope's such a good tune up, too, right before elk season to be shooting some fixed broadheads at some longer distances and, you know, just getting, you know, some early morning wake ups and watching some sunrises and playing the wind and just. Everyone should antelope hunt. It's uh, it's awesome. I know I for a long time there, I was into that backcountry mule deer hunting, and I still am. But uh, my forecast is I think I'm just going to keep buying po- points on mule deer and keep trying to get antelope tags because I just love the meat.
2: Amen, bro. I agree. It, and that that's just, it's a blast. I, I love going down there. I actually listened to, you, of course, your, your dad and you guys talking about your antelope hunt down there too on the pod. And, and I can't agree more. Like I – I think your dad made the comment that, you know, he looks forward to that, like, almost as much as elk season anymore. And, and it, it will never replace elk hunting, but I think antelope's my number two, like, ahead of whitetail. And I, I love going down there. It's just a blast. And like you said, it's kind of the first hunt. That probably helps, but I, I get so excited for antelope season every year now.
1: And yeah, you know, both of our dads are similar in age and pretty beat up. My dad's getting an MRI tomorrow on his hip and he's going to have hip surgery. And for those old timers, man, it's a really sweet deal. If you want to just put them in a blind, they can still have a really good hunt. And then, you know, the days are long still and uh, you can have some cold ones and just hang out with your dad and and good camaraderie. It's, it's It's definitely a must hunt for me as long as my dad's around.
2: Absolutely. I agree, man. And, uh, we're going to try to get that done this year. Maybe together we'll see, see how it uh, pans out.
1: I hope so. Yeah. So let's get into elk hunting. Cause this was what this podcast is. That's our bread and butter. And, um, so I will say, I think I, I didn't meet you, but I think I saw you in the mountains. I, uh, was going to put a trail camera come to find out, um, this, this guy and his dad <laughs> knew right where to go. Cause they were Coming out of this like you know little spot that I thought I had all to myself, and I was like, well, I'm gonna go drop a couple cams in here and hunted this spot for. I bounce in this spot from time to time, and and this guy comes rolling out in a side by side with his dad, and they just smiled and they were super nice and just waved and went by their way. And I didn't know it was you at the time, but I think we eventually. I'm not sure where we met on the mountain, or maybe we met through social media, but we figured each other out. That oh, that's who I'm seeing in the mountains, and that's who um is hunting similar ground and then i think from there we finally met up in person down the road but um basically we ran into each other in the woods man but uh, that was qu- quite a few years ago and since then you've you've strung together i want to is it five seasons in a row of getting a archery bull
2: yeah yeah that's just, that was my goal to try to get five in a row and uh obviously now it's gonna be six but but five was my goal so it made it happen this year
1: that's awesome so tell us about the years where there wasn't five in a row and what were you doing wrong? What kind of mistakes were you making? And, uh, w- looking back retrospectively, uh, what could you have done better?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, one thing, Dan is definitely, you know, we found that, we found that area, you know, that we commonly hunt there and, and we basically honed in on like probably a 10 to 15 mile radius in that area. And we spent a lot of hours, a lot of time just, I mean, learning it and hiking it and finding out where the elk are, where the elk aren't, you know, on a, on a regular basis, where the elk go when they get pressured, um, you know, where the elk are going to be no matter what, whether they're bugling or not bugling. And I think that was, that was probably one of the key points to my dad and my success. Um, years past, you know, our goal was always to try to get an elk so between the two of us one of us get an elk you know and that was that was a good year um one of us you know maybe gets an opportunity but one of us actually gets an elk and and uh so but what we did you know prior to basically just honing in on one area and really learning it was we spent a lot of time of course we've moved here we weren't from here just trying to figure out where to hunt like like it's a whole new area and we've never been here It's just like you guys and where are we going to hunt? So we hunted a little here. We hunted a little there. We never really learned anything, you know, as far as elk you know, movement and patterns. And we just kind of drove around and bugled. And, and we'd hunt this spot and be like, okay, last year there was a bull in there. Let's go try it. And there's no bull this year. So we drive up the road, and we, you know, and it, it was just really inconsistent. And I really feel like I know there's guys that just kind of run and gun, but I'm more passionate, and I think it's you're going to be better elk hunter. If you really learn the area, you find a good area and you learn it and, and you know everything about it. And, you know, you get cams in there. Um, I, I think you, you pushed me actually to, to get more cams going, um, which was awesome. So I, I probably have three cameras just on the, like some major, you know, some of those big old pack and salt licks or something like that, where, where there's major trails. And then it just like you said, my dad and I are jamming down this bridge. We've hunted for a few years, and it was always good. And we hit these benches, and it's like, there's a trail cam here, and then there's a trail cam here. And we're like, man, these guys got trail cameras everywhere. And uh, <laughs> that kind of – and then, yeah, right? It, it's, it's no joke. I mean, you guys had cameras everywhere, but you knew what the elk were doing, and you, you were in there learning it, and it didn't take you long to figure it out. And so I'm like, all right, these guys are killing elk, both of them, every year sometimes two. So what I need to do is, uh, as soon as Camel Fire has another sale, I'm going to buy like 12 cameras.
1: Yeah, damn, li- damn you Camel Literally, Fire. man.
2: <laughs> right, my wife hates it. Yes. So I got on there, I think I bought like six, and then I bought like four, and then I got like 15 cams now, and I actually got to write down where I put them anymore, and I don't know if you do, but oh, sometimes yeah. I, if, I don't, if I don't write it down, I'm like, where is that number 13 at? I don't know where he's at, so... Um, but I think that's, that's huge. I think find the area, learn the area, know the area. And there's a lot of local guys around here that I've talked to that hunt the same area. And if they're patient, they get their, these guys get their elk. You know, these old timers they get their elk every year and they still go back to the same area. And some of these guys are ripe hunters, you know, and they sit on the same stump and, and maybe it's a different stump because they've clear cutted that one in 20 years. And, but they literally know the elk are going to cross there. And they know where to go, and they're patient, and they get it done.
1: Yeah, dude, that's that's cl- that's clutch. I the year that you saw all those cameras, I literally had in a, and I think such a, and and I would call a feeder creek drainage, not even a main drainage, but a feeder creek drainage. There was a ton yeah, of yeah. fingers and a ton of benches, and I was like hunting one specific bull. That's the only bull I wanted was interested in. Never did get him, by the way, and. I think you and I have talked, we can never, none of us ever figured out what happened to that bull, but I put a camera everywhere because I wanted, I could not get this bull to play the normal game of calling. And so I was literally (laughs) switching my game up to tree stand hunting this bull and I put a camera everywhere I could, everywhere I had an encounter with him ever, I just put cameras out and then I wanted to just start checking those and try to put together a pattern and uh the dude the dude was a ghost he never had a pattern he was he was an amazing bull and and that's how some of those north idaho bulls just live to see an old age with all the wolves and all the hunting pressure i mean i've been watching land of the free 2.0 uh the born and raised guys put out and they're hunting in colorado and they have a name that they call when they hear another hunter's bugle doug flutie and they're they ran into quite a few Doug Fluties, but I don't think they understand what real hunting pressure is. That is nothing. I mean, they're in a wilderness and they're backpacking in and they're bivying. and I'll give them credit. Like that's how you get away from pressure. But even doing that, they weren't getting away from pressure, but I've never seen more pressure than I have in North Idaho. That is, that is, that's one of the hardest things about hunting there is that nobody, there's not a single spot on any mountain that no one's not been to. And don't ever fool yourself and be like, man, this is my honey hole. No one else knows about this because that's not true. That's not true at all. And uh, there's just a, you think you like know the only way to get here. Well, there's three other ways to get there that you didn't
2: even know. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's part of that, that learning curve and learning your area, I think, is when you pull up to that gate or you pull up to that ridge and it's like, all right this was my plan for tonight or today, you know, or I was going to go up here and, you know, okay, I can backdoor and I can get in there way faster than these guys by going, you know, ABC and you're not going in there trying to cut them off. You know, it's not, it's not about that. It's just a matter of when you find, as you know, you find the pockets of elk in the area that we hunt and sometimes it's a long ways between The next pocket elk. So, so you got to hunt those elk. I'm I'm more about hunting elk than than hunting for elk. And when I get out there, that's what I want to do. I got a limited time. I'm gonna go where the elk are. Yeah,
1: I think what you said there is pretty critical. So you can use hunting pressure to your advantage if you know the area and you know where the elk do when they get pressured. And that right there in itself only comes from hunting probably the same area and getting to know it intimately. And I know there's a lot of wanderlust in going and checking out all what's on that ridge or what's over there. But if you can really hone in on a couple of specific drainages, I bet I've killed 90% 90 of my Idaho elk within, oh, probably within 10 or 15 miles. And every drainage in there, my goal is to kill a bull in every drainage. Probably done that by now, and it's just not... It's just not giving up and even when there's hunting pressure, like there are days where I have literally skirted by hunters and made sure not to like mess them up and know that they are going to dive off the ridge after those bulls, but those bulls aren't going to be there by the time they get down there. They're going to be three miles down the drainage and that's where I'm going to intercept them. They just haven't learned that yet, but they probably will figure it out eventually. But for now, that's my secret and so go ahead, dive after them. Um, they ain't going to be there and you're going to be fighting the wind the whole way down there anyways. Do you know what I mean by that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And, uh, you know, the other thing about pressure too, and I know you've seen it because, uh, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of roads and some things, you know, in certain areas that we hunt and I've actually seen and learned just by hunting, um, and being out there that I've had bulls just screaming. And I had, if more than once, I've had a fuller pull-up or a pickup pull-up or, you know, even hunters coming down, and they start bugling. And that bull, I think, oh, God, here we go. Now we're going to have two people in here, you know, and they're going to come in on me. And that bull does not answer them. And they'll sit there and they'll bugle two or three times, and then they'll fire up the fuller or the pickup, and they'll drive off. And I'll sit there and wait 10, 15 minutes, let out a bugle, and, man, game on again. And... I think it's just a matter of, as you know, getting in there with them. You know, the, the days of driving roads and bugling off roads and, and, you know, doing it the easy way, it's it's kind of over as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you're going to find a hot one here and there, and it's going to work, but it's not going to be productive day in, day out, you know, unless you get in there with them and, and, and just be an elk, right?
1: Yeah, so let's say we set you loose. Now, you've killed five bulls in the last five seasons with archery tackle public land over the counter in a very heavily hunted area let's say i've transplanted you this next season into an area let's just say we went dumped you up into the selkirks or dumped you in the purcells or the court or Clearwater. i'm just gonna name a bunch of drainage uh, a bunch of mountain ranges to throw people off i don't want them to know exactly where to go but it's not that hard to figure out but Let's just say we threw you up there 100 miles north of your town there and and threw you in a new area. You got two weeks to hunt it. That's pretty good. Let's say you only have one week. You got a weekend to a weekend. Boots on the ground. It's hunting season. What are you going to do first? How are you going to find elk? What are you looking for? Because that's what really people want to know.
2: Yeah, you know, that thing, Dad, I I think it feels me, you know, I'm going to a new area. I'm going to go back to. First of all, find the basics, you know, of uh, what kind of year is it, right? Is it a drought year? Is it not a drought year? You know, and and key in on, you know, water or key in on on main drainages with water, you know. And then second thing, it's I'm going to find the main ridges that look like they got probably not the easiest access that everybody's going to be on. And, you know, I'm going to start hammering these ridges. It, it, and obviously you want to do some pre-scouting and spend as much time there as you can. But if you can't do that and say, say you're just flying in and you got a week to get it done, it's hit those main ridges. And I'm a bugler and a cow caller, and I love to, to basically be vocal. I mean, that's, that's what I love about that sport. And, and, you know, a lot of guys don't do that as much, and I don't know how you how do it for sure. But, I mean, I do I a lot. I cow call a lot. I like to sound basically when I start walking down a ridge, and if'm I'm, if I'm just cruising looking for elk or looking for bulls, then I'm basically a bull, and I'm bugling, and I'm cow calling two or three different reeds and and you know some just different noises, basically trying to sound like a herd and a bull that's pushing a herd down the ridge, and eventually, you know you're going to get an answer. Yeah, I mean, from, from my past experience and it, you just want to sound like an elk, you know, I, I don't, I'm not really big on just like walking and, you know, bugling every say quarter mile or something, because I think that's what everybody else does. I want to be an elk, I want to be a herd elk. I want the elk to get interested. Sometimes they just sneak in on you, you know, maybe it's a rag or something, but, but I think that's how you find elk as far as I'm concerned, get proficient at calling and, and hit the high ridges and, Bugle as much as you can, cow-claw as much as you can, but you got to be good at it, obviously. And and then find those elk, and then you know, obviously you got to get your wind and all those things right, and start figuring out where where you need to hunt to get get a shot at these elk.
1: Yeah, find an elk, sound like an elk, sound like a herd. I love that. I haven't had anyone really say it like that. That makes a lot of sense. Just instead of just sounding like a lone bull bugling off ridges, go ahead and sound like an entire herd. And I think that I think that's great. And then covering ground and you may have to hike three or four ridge systems drainages until you find that pocket but uh you know don't be afraid i've said it before on here but don't be afraid to hike at night and bugle if you just limit it on time and you're not finding elk i think you can get elk to pop off or crack uh, at night a lot easier than say right in the middle of the day and
2: i mean absolutely yeah
1: burn burn a night's worth of sleep and do it in the name of just kind of finding elk general area and I think you can afford to sleep during the day a little bit and then just hit them up in the evenings and mornings until you're kind of zoned or honed in on their on their core areas. Finding elk is definitely the, the, the biggest question I get. It's hard for me because I do hunt a lot of the same places, but Bucky, I do draw a lot of tags out of places that I've never been before and it's a lot of just figuring out where the elk are, and what you said earlier, where the elk are not. And really, once you start figuring out where they're not, the news starts to tighten. And it took us 10 days to get it done in Nevada this year. And by the way, I can't wait to drop. Uh, We got 10 episodes dropping in December for YouTube. And everything shot on 4K. And uh, some of the best footage uh, we've ever had for Elk Shape. So I'm looking forward to it. But 10 days to, to get it done. And it was early. I mean, it was like late August and it wasn't, they weren't written yet, but still 10 days to like figure out. And I would say the last two days was what I was looking for, the experience I was looking for. So eight days of shitty hunting for two days of awesome hunting. And that was literally just moving camp six times. Uh, We had a guy on here a couple episodes ago, uh, Dirk Durham from Orofino. Do you know Dirk? I do. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so you know with the wolves and stuff now in Idaho he doesn't set up a base camp um or a spike camp or a bibby camp he does kind of like a gypsy camp where he hunts out of his truck he will drive anywhere from 25 to 50 miles in the morning and just hunt different areas and he's mobile and there's just something to be said for these new guys listening to this podcast that's dedicated to that learning curve is be mobile don't hire Someone to pack you in fourteen miles in some Colorado over-the-counter wilderness, only to find out that the elk aren't there. What are you going to do next? I mean, how are you going to be a gypsy when all your stuff's dropped off, and or they got a camp made? Be for the, it? You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, that'd be the that'd be the worst, man. That how would you how fun would that be to be stuck somewhere for even seven days and not hear elk or you know yeah be, be stuck there? That it would be. Cool. You well, you gotta be mobile, like you said, and you gotta move and. And you you got to not be afraid to put your boots on. I, I know that's, that's how you found the elk, and that's how you find elk. New places you go, to, Dan, because you're not afraid. I you want to get on the right foot day. But I know that if you're not hearing elk and you're not seeing elk, Dan's not stopping. He's still moving. Daylight till dark. And then he's not going back there, and he's going to the new place tomorrow. And, you know, you don't go back to camp at 10 o'clock and be like, let's cook some bacon and eggs, and we'll try it again tomorrow. I think that's the bottom line, right? You got to go get it and you got to be after it. You got to be passionate and you got to want it.
1: Yeah. And that's what's going to separate the men from the boys. Um, Well, I don't want to keep you all night. You do have a brand new baby.
2: A little girl. Another little girl. Yeah. She's 11 days old today. So uh, I got uh, a Rosalind Elka and a Ryan (laughs) Deerica. I
1: love it. So you don't make boys then?
2: I obviously don't make boys. Um, (laughs) So. I don't know if I will have a boy, but luckily my, my daughter, Roslyn, she loves to hunt. Um, obviously, I try to take her out as much as I can. I think turkey hunt is an awesome thing for kids, so so that's kind of been our jam lately, um, and she loves it. And this year, she was with me. I let her go. I mean, put the decoy out. Um, we spotted the bird. I, it was way up there. It was, it was probably a half-mile a hike, you know, straight up a uh, canyon break, and, I thought, eh, she might not want to walk up that far. And I asked her and she said, yeah, let's go shoot it, dad. So, um, you know, she was seven at the time. And so we, uh, we hiked up there. We had a blast, took our time, got up there. I let her put the decoy out. I let her kind of lead, lead the show, just, you know, and, and then, I uh, got back there and called and we called that bird right into like 10 yards and she watched it get shot. And man, she was, she was so excited about that. So I, I love it. I, I think it's a uh, turkey hunting. If you don't, if you got kids, Uh, you want to get them involved in hunting take them turkey hunting. the weather's good you know they're not going to get cold and there's always action and guess what if they screw it up who cares it's just a turkey
1: yeah dude that's such good advice and i'm listening because i have my daughter's getting close to that age where i'm going to take her out and i don't know i mean i want to um intentionally show her as much of the outdoors as possible um you know nurture versus nature i mean i really want to like influence her obviously to be out in the woods but i mean we'll see if she takes to it uh if she does it that's cool we'll figure out whatever her jam is um my son doesn't have a choice he better be a hunter i'm just joking but i'm hoping you know i think every (laughs) hunter that has a boy they hope that their son wants to hunt with them but you know we'll find out um but marriage hunting working all that kind of stuff we cover that in this podcast man and and i told you um, before we start recording that I had a guy hit me up I got a lot of these um, I get a lot of messages and emails and and somebody did go through what I described in Colorado this year i don 't know who i can 't remember their name but they literally were just sent me a a tearful email of their like first you know out west hunt they coughed up some cash and had an outfit or just do a drop camp with them and they were deep man and they spent a full ten days where there was no elk. There's just the elk weren't there that year and they they were stuck and so that's why I don't make this stuff up man it really does happen out there so that's why I kind of try to bring up points like that but this next question man I, I have an answer I told the guy I said hey I'm bringing on a really good buddy he's married he works he's got kids and he still gets time to hunt so here we go I'm not gonna say his name but he said uh, he enjoys listening to the podcast here's his question he says. I'm super similar in the way we think about being a different person if you don't get to go hunting. My question to you is, what if your wife felt, even if you try to balance your family and hunting, they only think you care about hunting and want you to give up hunting season and use that time to go on a family trip, what would your response be? He says, I'm not sure I would be pleasant knowing I could go. I could not go hunting because, like you, I'm already planning for next year. So, basically... I don't think his wife's super stoked about all this hunting and she wants to spend that vacation time during hunting season and go on a family vacation. Uh, what's your advice for that guy?
2: Man, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> Throwing you under I, the bus. I, I, I've heard your podcast about Alicia too. And uh, the two year plan before you get married, I think that's a good plan. Uh, <laughs> my wife knew what she was getting into well before we got married. Obviously did for a long time. And, you know, for this guy, I think, I think it comes down to spend as much family time, as much quality time, spoil your family, uh, go, I mean, when, when I mean by spoil is not money, I mean just spoil them in time and, and it, go on little vacations or trips or camping or whatever, whatever your, uh, jam is, I guess, but, you know, spend as much time with them as you can. So but when it comes to hunting bees in time, that you know you're able to go go do that and that that's always been my philosophy too you know i i know that i'm probably i'm probably the best husband well, I'm a great husband but i'm probably the best husband in, in August cuz august i'm like all right i'm already thinking elk and september's coming so anything you want babe it's going to get done and you know you got to really uh, try to Appease them before you go do it. I understand, you know, it's probably a tough gig when, when we take off and we leave, um, two kids and, or three kids or whatever you got and the wife's home taking care of the whole household and, and I mean, reverse roles, it probably really sucks, but I think they gotta understand going into it, that's, that's the passion and that's what drives you. That's kind of your zen for moving into the next year and, I think for this guy, it's just find out what she needs so that you can still get your week, but make sure that you're giving that to her the whole year. You know, you can't just be, uh, I guess selfish and then, uh, go into hunting season and say, all right, I'm going hunting.
1: Yeah. it's a tough, it's a tough deal, man. I don't even have any advice. It's a, it's a struggle in the state and household because, uh, my wife doesn't even like the word passion anymore because I Cannot think of another word to describe it, man. I will say that communicating is so important ahead of time. And I have been hunting whitetails in Washington State since I was 10 years old. And specifically bow hunting. And the dates have changed a little, but not in the last decade. So every November 25th, you're going to find Dan the Fitness Man in a tree stand trying to kill a mountain buck uh, in Washington. And... I assumed even this year, been married for almost 10 years, that my wife just knew that on Sunday, November 25th, I will not be around. I will be in a tree stand waiting for a buck to show up. And uh, it just, li- just literally just happened now where she was like, oh, you're you're going hunting? All-? And I'm just like trying to not lose my mind being like, um, I'm really simple, Alicia. Like literally – I do the same things year in and year out. Like it doesn't take much to keep me happy. Just let me have some workout time. Let me shoot my bow. Let me go hunting. Everything in between is all you, babe. And uh, still to this day, like she doesn't – like so I have to let, like literally write down on a calendar. And the sooner you can put that out there, the better, I feel like. And while you're planning your hunts and putting them on the calendar because that application season is around the corner and we're starting to kind of figure out what, how, how we want to do this, You better have a family vacation planning season and figure out, you know, get your weekends lined up. That will probably make any wife happy if you intentionally sit down with them and say, hey, I know it's December. But uh, let's start looking at spring and early summer and what trips do you want to take or what camping trips or where do you want to go? What do you want to see? What do you want to do? And I think that will go a long ways. Uh, I know that's worked for us pretty well is that damn calendar. Get it on there and uh, over-communicate, which I'm a terrible communicator because I just do the same stuff. I figured you you should know my patterns by now, but guess what? Even after almost 10 years, still a surprise that I was hunting November 25th. So, uh, yeah, I I don't mind throwing myself under the bus either, Bucky. It's like learn from me because I make every mistake, Uh, and uh, (laughs) it's still a process. But that guy's in a tough spot, man. Like I think they just need to probably come to an understanding that hunting is who he is that's just what that's what he's about that's just kind of something he, that you can be unapologetic for and then flip flip rolls. it sucks to be at home while your, your husband's out hunting or spouse let's say your spouse out hunting and you got the kids and all the responsibility it's it's not fun so you you guys got to be a team
2: yeah absolutely dan i agree and you know i went through that uh so my vacation just, just real brief you know, we start out with one week, so I started out with a week, and then you accrue kind of as you go through years. So, I mean, I went a lot of years where I had one week, and you know, luckily my wife understood one week met September. That's that's my week. Like, there's no other ifs, ands, or buts. Um, and she was she was awesome about it, and bless her heart, I appreciate it so much because that's that is the time I need, just like you know, and just like this guy's saying that's my time to get out and just do my thing. And when I'm done with elk season, um, man, I'm I'm a whole new guy. Like it's like, it's like going to the the two week spa except for you work your ass off. (laughs) You smell bad. And, and you know, I don't know what else, but you know what I mean? So (laughs) yeah, dude, my
1: calendar year literally starts over October 1st, October 1st is January 1st for, for me. Uh, It's like, okay, brand new year. Here we go. Everything that we're going to do from here now is basically going to lead up to elk season. And that may sound just preposterous to some people, but I just, I'm speaking truth. And everything that, I mean, hunting and elk hunting specifically can be utilized as your launch pad for everything. Make it a positive thing. Like elk hunting for me keeps me in the gym. It keeps me shooting my bow. It keeps me scouring maps, but it also, on the other side, keeps me writing things on a calendar which I would never do and asking my wife what vacations that she wants to take and what places she wants to go and busting my ass on all the things, yard work and uh, house remodel, through the spring and summer. So, Because that's what she loves to do. And uh, I think you just got to figure out how to – their love language so to speak and have you ever read that book five yeah, La- uh, the languages of love no i
2: haven't man i should check it out obviously
1: oh yeah i'm gonna paraphrase it um but basically i'm trying to remember the author's name i can't remember his name but anyways the five languages of love is a pretty cool book for people that are married to read it's actually good for business owners to read i think there might even be a business version out there i'm sure there is probably but but really uh, it's a way to figure out how people tick. And then you can kind of like, Oh gosh, what's that guys? I think it's Gary Chapman. Don't quote me, but I think it's Gary Chapman. And so like the five languages that he says, like quality time is like probably the most common one. Like some people just, you don't have to do a bunch of things, just spend time with them. And their love tank is full. And there's a kind of a two-sided deal on this. Like there's, Love language to give and love language to receive. So you got to not only know your love language uh, and communicate that to your spouse, but you got to figure out what your spouse's love language and be able to do that for them. Some of them, it's physical touch, probably a lot of guys, acts of service, gifts, and then words of affirmation. And so like my wife's is definitely like, without a doubt, words of affirmation. Like when she's doing a damn good job, which she does every day, I got to let her know verbally and just let her know hey i really appreciate like today i went hunting all day come back she's ripped up carpet in the hallway and installed um laminate flooring all by herself and i just thought you know that's pretty cool but i made sure to go tell her how awesome of a job she did what i appreciate her working hard working on the house taking care of the kids making like just words of affirmation. My love language is just super simple. It's definitely not gifts. In fact, I think that's the the last thing I would want from anyone is don't. I hate when people give me gifts. Is just give me your time, like hang out. That's that's how my tank gets f- full. I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have any idea what your love language is? And do you have any idea what your wife's love language is?
2: Yeah, you know, I would say my wife is probably uh, you know just again, like you said, as far as uh letting her know uh what a great job she does and and uh it's kinda of funny because uh so tonight I went out and I I was deer hunting and I shot a buck and and uh so as I was walking back to get the back frame to get this deer out I was texting her, you know, I told her it's gonna be a little bit late and and I was supposed to pick the daughter up at the gym at six thirty, so I told her I should be on time for that still but and I, I quote, reading this text, I said, uh, I got this buck because of you. I said, you're you're so awesome for letting me go deer hunting with an 11-day-old daughter. Um, because what happened was I didn't have a deer season this year because, you know, my daughter was born. So Thanksgiving usually the, the three days I take off, and daughter was born. I had my moose hunt, and I wasn't going to be greedy. I didn't really care. And... Basically, the start of this week, you know, things were going good. I was supposed to go back to work, and I just said, hey, I said, do you mind if I take a couple days and go deer hunting as long as uh, it's good with work? Um, You know, or I I was supposed to be at work anyways, right? is that cool? And she's like, yeah, she's like, go do it, but I'm, I'm good with it. And so I still feel a little bit guilty, you know, because it's like, okay, I'm taking vacation, but I'm still going hunting. So what I did is I, you know, for her, Um, I tried to help as much as I could, and instead of waking up at daylight, only did that one day and went. The rest of the days, I woke up, I got up with our eight-year-old, got her ready, I dropped her off of school um, at eight o'clock, and then I went deer hunting, and she didn't have to load up the car, take the baby to drop off the daughter's school and do all that, you know, just helped her out a little bit, and it worked for me, and it was a win-win, man. That's Um, awesome. And so, so yeah, just, you know, kind of like you said with Alicia, I mean, my wife works on thank yous, and making sure that she's, she's a man. She does it all too. And she basically grinded out a job from seven to in the morning till nine o'clock, eight o'clock at night, uh, between dental assisting and when we opened our gymnastics business. So, I mean, she's, she's a hustler. She gets out there and, and she's, she's awesome. So I, I make sure she knows that all the time. Um, as far as me, you know, I, I guess mine is probably just uh, her allowing me to kind of go do my thing, I guess, if that's such a thing, you know. That should um, be. She's really good. At, yeah, she's good about just, you know, I'm like, hey, babe, uh, I'm going to go hunting this weekend. Okay, go do it. Or, hey, you know, I'm going to go here tonight. Go do it. Like, she she never, very seldom does she ever like, you know, nah, tonight's not a good night for that. It's just kind of like she's, she's pretty awesome. That way, just like, whatever you need to go do, go do and she knows that I'll be there if she needs me. But I mean, she's awesome. we got a good relationship and that's what I need. I like to be able to just kind of have my freedom, my reign, you know?
1: Absolutely. Well, Bucky, um, we'll probably wrap this up, man. It's been really good chatting with you. Where can dudes find you on the, uh, the internet, if you will?
2: Yeah, but, uh, it's been great. I appreciate it. Um, so I, Facebook, um, you can check me out on Facebook and it's just a uh, bucky shoemaker on Facebook. And then, uh, on Instagram, uh, what is, I don't even know what it is, man. Let me see. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. It's um, be daddy shoey. There you go. Be daddy shoey. And that's it all right there. Um, so you check it out. I, I post a lot of videos and a lot of pictures and stuff about hunting and things. Uh, uh it just, because that's my passion, man. I love it. Uh, I don't care if people look at it or don't look at it, but I enjoy doing it, and so, so it's out there.
1: Cool, man. Well, let's see if uh, we can get connected on an antelope hunt in 2019 with the old uh, the dads. I feel like that would be totally awesome. I'm sure I'll see you before then, one of these days. we got to get together, get the family together, and uh, appreciate you uh, taking time with a new 11-day-old, brand-new baby girl, and congrats on the deer tonight, man and the pack out you pack the whole deer out in one load yeah, and this ain't no like drive up throw it in the back of the truck this is pack it off the mountain so you're a badass man and i uh, i think you inspired some people tonight to to hustle hard and that's what it's all about
2: i appreciate it Dan. man it's awesome uh keep doing what you're doing uh you know every pod you do has something new so i've, I've been digging them and uh So I hope people are listening and kind of – I think they're going to learn if they they pay attention. So so we'll we'll hook up soon. I'd like to get to the cabin. Maybe if you guys are up for the winter, just let's hook up.
1: Yeah, I think we're going up uh, for New Year's. So we'll have to at least stop by and say hi and uh, have the girls meet each other.
2: Absolutely, bud. That sounds great. You can come uh, let them burn some energy down at the gym.
1: (laughs) Done deal. All right, man. Right on,
2: buddy. Take care. Take care. Bye.